0: Let's read in the scriptures this evening from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, a chapter in which through the prophet Isaiah God exposes the hypocritical fasting of his people in the Old Testament. It wasn't that they fasted, but how they fasted that the prophet addresses here, especially that. They still oppressed the poor and fasted simply for their own gain. Isaiah chapter 58 cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and then health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If Thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not." And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the fountains of many generations. And thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasures, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Then we turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll read just the verses of the text, Matthew six sixteen through 18. Jesus here is applying... The principle of verse 1, take heed that ye do not your alms or righteousnesses before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. He's applied that to almsgiving, to prayer, and now in the text of this evening to fasting. Matthew 6 verse 8, 16, moreover when ye fast, Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." When you fast, verse 16, that's in the plural. Thou, when thou fastest, verse 17, that's in the singular. And Jesus assumes something here. That we fast together and that we fast privately. So when last did you fast? Fast with a group of people, or when last did you privately fast? The assumption that Jesus makes here is the same assumption that he makes in the earlier applications of that principle of verse 1, when you give alms, when you pray, and now when you fast. Another spiritual activity of worship. Fasting is not a subject that I think I'd pick to preach on, except that we're working through the Sermon on the Mount. It's a challenging subject to preach on because we're so unfamiliar with the practice. And it's challenging also because it challenges me I'm preaching on something that very few instances in my life have I ever done. The purpose of this sermon this evening is not to create guilt, but to bring us to consider what Jesus says here, that his words may stir us up to what he speaks of. In this section, the first 18 verses of this chapter, Jesus is dealing with the subject of authentic or true Christianity and how it shows itself, especially in our worship. And he does that in contrast to the scribes and the Pharisees, whom he calls hypocrites. And there are three contrasts here they give alms to be seen of men, they pray. In the street corners and standing in the synagogues to be seen of men. And now they fast by disfiguring their faces so that they may be seen of men. And in contrast, Jesus says, when you give, do it anonymously. When you pray, enter your closet. And now when you fast, wash your face so that it doesn't appear to men that you are fasting. In other words, back to verse 1, Take heed that you do not your righteousnesses before men, but do them before God. Authentic Christianity is to live before God. And God here in this chapter is referred to again and again as our Father, so we are His children living in His presence. And now, that with application to fasting. Now, there are two dangers when we come to this subject of fasting. The one hand, on the one hand, the danger is to completely ignore the spiritual practice as something archaic and which has no application to us at all today. The other is to so formalize it that it becomes a legalistic way of gaining or earning something from God. And that was the way the Jews treated it, the way also the Roman Catholic Church has used it in the past. And Calvin recognizes this tension when he says in his Institutes, Let me say something on fasting, because many, due to a lack of knowing its usefulness, undervalue its necessity, or even reject it altogether as superfluous. There's the one danger. While on the other hand, he says... The use of it is not well understood, and it easily degenerates into superstition. So tonight we want to understand it so that it doesn't degenerate into superstition, and then we want to see its value for us as a spiritual activity. So let's consider the words of the text tonight under the theme, When you fast, notice with me first the biblical practice. In the second place, the proper manner. And then third, the accompanying reward. As we talk about fasting, we are not talking about fasting for your health or to lose weight. This is very popular today, intermittent fasting or something of that nature. What we're talking about here is a spiritual activity of worship. And in this spiritual activity of worship, the child of God deprives himself of food and or drink, or some other earthly pleasure with the spiritual purpose of being focused, fixed on God, seeking God in repentance or prayer. Fasting is to deprive yourself of food or drink or some other earthly pleasure with the spiritual purpose of seeking God in repentance or prayer. As we look at the scriptures, we find that it was practiced in many different ways in the Bible. Sometimes there's a partial fast. You give up some food. So Daniel fasted and gave up certain dainties. Sometimes it was a complete fast where you would give up food and drink. Sometimes just the giving up of food. Sometimes fasting was practiced as a very short thing, you would miss one meal or perhaps you would fast for one day. Other times it was extended maybe three days or in some cases the fasts in Scripture are up to 40 days. And then those fasts were, of course, accompanied by some miraculous sustenance on God's part. And so we think of Moses or of Jesus himself. Fasting was practiced by individuals, and you can think of examples of that in Scripture, David, Daniel, Moses, as well as by groups. And then we think of something like the nation or the city of Nineveh when when Jonah came there and the the king declared a city-wide fast, or Ezra and the returning captives stopped at the river Arva and they fasted and prayed. Coupled with fasting in the Scripture, God's people would sometimes refrain from other pleasures, such as physical intercourse in marriage. So for three days before God came down on Mount Sinai, God said to the men, stay away from your wives. And in a similar way, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul speaks of refraining from intimacy so that you might give yourself to prayer and fasting. In all of the Scriptures, there's only one fast that God... Commands, And that's in the Old Testament, once a year on the great day of atonement. Otherwise, fasting was a spontaneous activity on the part of God's people. And always, fasting was more than just deprivation of food, but it was accompanied by prayer. And so, very often, this phrase, prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting, is in God's Word both in the Old and the New Testament. And coupled with prayer, we understand fasting this way then as an earnest expression of of urgency in prayer, especially in a time of dependence and need. As we look at the Scripture's overview of fasting we want not just to observe how it was done or the practice of fasting but understand the purposes for fasting and so as we look at the old testament especially we understand three main reasons or purposes for fasting first and most common fasting was used as an expression of repentance an expression of a deep humiliation before god on account of a sense of guilt, a true sense of guilt, because of sin. That was the purpose of fasting in connection with the annual feast of the great day of atonement in Leviticus chapter 16, as the priest would offer his sacrifice on the great day of atonement. The people were to fast, and God's word there says, afflict their souls. That means to humble their hearts. To be aware of the fact that the sacrifice was necessary on account of their sin. Repentance. That's the purpose, the first purpose of fasting. And in the Old Testament Scriptures, we see that oftentimes the nation as a whole would fast. In times of God's chastening and judgments. You see that especially in the books of uh, Joshua, Judges and Samuel and the kings. One example of that, uh, fasting in repentance, is in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. And now here's an individual fasting, that's Daniel, as an intercessor for the people. Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, In the first year of the reign of Darius, I, Daniel, understood by the books, The number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Daniel understood that the 70 years were accomplished. And then we read this. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. And then he confesses God's greatness and continues in verse 5, We have sinned and committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets. And you see that fasting and prayer and repentance are all connected here. As Daniel comes to realize that God now was going to bring his people back. the promised land of Canaan. So first, fasting was an expression of the humiliation of the soul and of repentance before God. Second, the reason for fasting in Scripture is this, that fasting was a way of seeking God with earnestness for a particular need. Oftentimes, in the Old Testament Scripture, we find that the prophets would fast as they were seeking to know what God's will was so that they could speak that to God's people. So you have examples of that in the cases of Daniel again and Moses and other instances. They fasted as they waited to know the will of God. And that was, fasting was used that way also by individuals. So you have the example of David when he prostrated himself on the floor to pray for the life of the first child that God gave him with Bathsheba. And he fasted and he prayed earnestly. That's also the way that national fasts were used in, in Judges chapter twenty. This is after a bitter civil war in the nation, and the whole tribe of Benjamin almost has been destroyed, annihilated. There are just a group of soldiers left. And so the nation comes together, and they fast, and they pray, and they want to know what God's will is for the tribe of Benjamin and the survival of the tribe of Benjamin. So they earnestly seek God for a particular need. Then a third use of fasting in the Scriptures, and this again is in the Old Testament, is in times of mourning and grief because of death. One of the examples of this is in the early chapters of Second Samuel, at the death of King Saul and his son Jonathan, and David and his men with him wept, and they fasted in grief. Perhaps this is the easiest kind of fasting for us to understand because in times of great grief you not only lose your appetite, you don't have an appetite for food, but in times of great grief you also understand the importance of spiritual and eternal things, what really matters. And so you say, I don't need the things of this physical world, and that really Helps us even to understand what we could call the psychology of fasting, how fasting works. When a calamity comes, you lose your appetite. I just said that. But fasting, in a sense, is intended to reverse that. You deprive yourself of a pleasure, and as you feel the pain of that deprivation, it's a reminder to direct your mind towards the things of God, to God himself, and to eternal things, the things that really are important. So those are the, the purposes, as we see them in Scripture, or the reasons for fasting, repentance, earnestness in prayer for a particular need, and grief, sorrow. Is it perhaps the case that we don't practice fasting as we should as a spiritual exercise because we don't really understand repentance? We don't really feel our dependence of God? We don't experience grief as many have in past generations? As we come to the New Testament, we find that fasting is also a common practice. And I think it's helpful for us to look at the New Testament to understand that when Jesus says here, when you fast, he's telling us that this should be a spiritual practice for God's people also in the New Testament age. Interestingly, we don't find that Jesus and his disciples fasted together. And they, in fact, were queried about that by uh, some of the Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus explains that this way in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 15. Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. And there are two things that Jesus says there. One is that his presence with his disciples was something like a wedding feast, a time of joy and rejoicing. And here we can think of fasting in contrast to feasting. And it's right for God's people to feast and to rejoice. But it's also appropriate for them to mourn and to fast. And Jesus says, I'm with them now. This is like a wedding feast. The other thing that he points out here is that there will come a time when they will fast. That is, after Jesus' ascension, when he's taken from them. This will be a time, the time that we live in for fasting. Even though Jesus and his disciples don't fast together, we do find that Jesus himself privately fasted and prayed, certainly The outstanding example of that is before his temptation, 40 days of fasting. But it's very likely that also when Jesus went into the mountains alone to pray, that he would include with that fasting. In the early New Testament church, fasting was very common. As the 120 waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they gathered in the upper room and they prayed and fasted. When Peter was in prison, then the disciples and the new converts gathered in the home of John Mark's mother, and they prayed and fasted. Cornelius, a devout man, was praying and fasting when the angel appeared to him. In Acts chapter 13, when the first missionaries were sent out, Paul and Barnabas, the church gathered and they prayed and they fasted before they laid hands on them and sent them to do the important work of missions. In the next chapter, Acts chapter 14, when elders were chosen and ordained in the newly instituted churches, this was done with prayer and fasting, an earnest desire. And you find references to to fasting also in the writings of the Apostle Paul. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, And again in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about fasting as though it was a part of his spiritual exercise in his work as an apostle and a preacher and in his care for the churches. He says this, in journeys often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers and so on, he's talking about how he was poured out for the church in his labor, in weariness, And painfulness in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And beside those things that were without, that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches. So he's saying that in his care for the churches, he gave himself to fasting. And we can think of him praying in repentance or him fasting with an earnest A time of earnest need for the church. And Paul, in his writings, also indicates that this is a part of the individual's practice. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we reference this already. Husbands and wives refrain from intimacy for a time so that they may give themselves to prayer and fasting. And we can imagine in a marriage or in a home, a time of intense need or intense sorrow or intense grief. And a spiritual activity then being practiced. So from all this, we see that fasting is not just an archaic practice for the Old Testament, but something carried over into the lives of God's people in the New Testament. Jesus assumes that when you fast or whenever you fast, as often as you do it, And as Christians, we could use it individually and corporately with the same purposes of repentance, earnestness, and grief. And when coupled with prayer and the searching of Scripture, it should be spiritually profitable for God's people. How do we use it properly so that it is beneficial? That's really what Jesus is talking about here in the passage. And to do it properly, we have to understand from a negative point of view the reasons not to do it. And Jesus points those out to us as he calls attention to the religious hypocrisy of the leaders of his day who distorted fasting. Their practice was something like we read about in Isaiah 58. They went through the motions of fasting. But there was no spiritual profit because there was no spiritual purpose in what they did. So three things that Jesus says here about their fasting. First of all, their fasting was fake. It was theatrical. It was simply acting. There was no spirit-changed heart that had a spiritual purpose in coming to God but it was simply a display for others they disfigured their faces they put on a sad face they put black ash on their faces they changed their clothes and put on sackcloth and by their actions doing these in public they said to everybody else see I'm fasting see how religious I am And it was done to impress men, not as a way of seeking God. It was all performance. First, their fasting was performance. It was fake. It was theatrical. Second, their fasting was... A religion of self, a false religion of self. Not only were they not interested in worshiping God as they did this, but they weren't interested in helping others to worship God. What they wanted for themselves was the worship, and the accolades, and the praise, and the recognition. It wasn't about God at all. And Jesus says, they have their reward. They get their praise from men. A fool's reward. Third, their fasting was an act of self-righteousness before God. And it showed the theology, the doctrine of the scribes and the Pharisees in which they depended on their own works for righteousness before God. They took Fasting, which was intended as a sign of repentance and humility, in which we are to demonstrate our unworthiness and the sense of unworthiness before God, and they turned it into a display of how good they saw themselves to be and used it as a part of their system of meritorious good works. You see that in Luke chapter 18 in the parable of Jesus. The publican and the Pharisee who went up to pray and the Pharisee saying, I thank thee, I'm not like other men. And one of the things that he said there was, I fast two days a week and he rests in his works that he is righteous before God. And that is not, Jesus says, a way of righteousness. The publican who said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, was the one who went home justified rather than the other. And this this last thing that Jesus points to, the self-righteousness, the display of self-righteousness in this uh, external religious activity, helps us to understand how we should properly use fasting as a spiritual activity. As Jesus contrasts the way that the citizens of the kingdom of heaven should fast to the way that the scribes and the Pharisees do it, We see him contrasting it really to the theology, their theology of fasting. And the theology of fasting is not this, that we come with fasting to put pressure on God so that we can get something from Him by something that we do. Rather, all that we have and all that we need is ours in Jesus Christ. And we come in complete emptiness and humility before God. Fasting is not to manipulate God to get his attention. It's not to impress others, to display spiritual superiority. Those things go completely against the purpose of fasting. Rather, in fasting we express that there's nothing that we can bring to God. That we come as beggars empty and that we deserve nothing from him not even we're not even worthy of our daily bread and so fasting is to be God focused not before men but before your father who is in secret and so Jesus tells us in verse 17 how we should do it thou When thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face. That in contrast to disfiguring their faces so that they can appear sad and deprived. He says, anoint thy head, wash thy face. He's referring here to something cosmetic. He means this. Don't make a display of the fact that you are involved in the spiritual activity. In fact... Cover it up so that people don't know about it. He doesn't mean by that that we have to fake our happiness, for example, when we're grieved over sin or mourning. But his point is this do it before God. Don't do it before men. Do it to your Father who's in secret. Do it as though God is the only one who would see it. And that's really the test of its genuineness, if no one else saw it, would I do it? That's what he means. So from a practical point of view, if we're going to use fasting effectively, then do it in these ways, and let me give five suggestions. First, do it personally and secretly. And I say that tonight because if this sermon has convicted you that you should fast, then following the words of Jesus here, you don't run around in the congregation and say to everybody else, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast this week, Tuesday through Thursday. As though they should join you. Or as though that's somehow spiritually superior. See, Jesus' point here is that the praise of men is addictive. And if that's your aim, you'll achieve it. You'll get the praise of men. But that, of course, poisons the well of worship. Then it's not worship. Then you have verse 1, No reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that fasting is something to be ashamed of or fasting is something that nobody should ever know about, but if it's done to be published, then it would be better that you didn't do it. That, of course, doesn't mean that we can't do it corporately, and that's the second Suggestion here, do it corporately, do it as families. Do it with a group of believers when you are in prayer together for a particular need. Do it not as a way to put pressure on God, but as an earnest expression of a shared concern that you have in prayer. That's the idea of corporate fasting. If you go to Presbyterian circles there. Our brothers and sisters will do this in particular circumstances. For example, before their presbyteries or their synods meet, they will have a day of fasting and prayer. They will do this for national catastrophes or sins. They'll do this in corporate repentance for things that have been exposed in the church. And since my time being here at first, I can think of two things that we've done as a congregation that would be appropriate. Times for us to fast together. One was the day of prayer that was called by Classes East last fall in response to the schism in our churches. How appropriate it would be to fast in repentance. Another was the recent prayers that we made as a congregation with with regard to the situation with abortion in our land, how appropriate it would be to fast and make earnest supplication together to God for that. So do it personally and secretly, but also do it corporately. And then third, be sure to couple your fasting with prayer And searching of Scripture all by itself fasting is simply an external practice the purpose of fasting is to drive the soul to a deeper consciousness of God and of spiritual realities that's why fasting and prayer go together so it should produce an earnestness in prayer in us maybe in our grief maybe in repentance maybe in petition for a particular need And if you fast to seek God's will, be sure that you do that with the scriptures open. I wonder how many of the Psalms weren't written by the psalmist as he gave himself to a time of prayer and fasting. That's evident in some of the Psalms that we sang tonight. So use God's word. And as you seek to know God's will, know this. God isn't going to reveal that to you directly, but it's going to come through his word. So pray and fast with the scriptures open. Then fourth, do this fast with humility and self-examination. It's easy in times of need and times of repentance it's easy in times of calamity for us to feel very sorry for ourselves without feeling sorrow about ourselves. Let me give you an example of that. If we would have a day of prayer, for example, for the state, uh, with regard to the state of marriage and the family in our land and where laws are at with that, it would be very easy for us on such a day of prayer and fasting, to think of all the things that have gone wrong with the family in our society. Broken homes, divorce, abandoned children, same-sex marriage. And we could see all those things, and we could pray earnestly that God would change those things. And we could pray for those who are involved in those different sinful activities. That would be easy. But how about ourselves? about praying for our own marriages, for godliness in the way that we live with each other, for humility, for forgiveness, for hearts of service in our relationships in the home, for deliverance from sexual sins and saturation and pornography. So pray with self-examination with humility as you fast. That applies to many situations, I think again of the recent schism in our churches and how easy it is for us to be pointing fingers at those who have left us, at their manner, at the things that they dare to say about the Protestant Reformed churches, at their theology. But how about looking at ourselves, identifying our weaknesses, seeing that they're our sons, and praying in repentance for change where we need to repent? To fasting is aimed at self examination, that's where we ought to be praying. Then a fifth suggestion, and this is the final one, do it creatively. This came from one of the commentaries that I read, and I thought it was very appropriate. Fast with creativity, or, or think of fasting more broadly than just putting away food and drink for a little while to give yourself to prayer. The commentator made this point, that for physical and health reasons, not everyone is going to be able to fast, for example, a diabetic. So think of it more broadly, as a fast from any kind of pleasure in our lives. And as we think about fasting that way, here we can see that fasting can especially be helpful from a spiritual point of view in our struggles against Personal besetting sins. There are so many good things that we enjoy in our lives that can easily become our idols and steal our hearts and the love of our hearts away from God. And maybe we need to be fasting in those areas. Is it television, social media, gaming, or some other form of entertainment? Is it shopping and spending money? Is it an exotic vacation? Is it perhaps an obsession with your appearance? Take a week, or a month, or a year. Hiatus from social media, from shopping. Cancel a vacation. Refuse to stand in front of a mirror. Those are legitimate forms of fasting. And then, and then we can use that time and that energy instead to pray. And maybe we're praying for exactly this, that God would help us to overcome exactly the temptation that we have in those situations. That's fasting. And don't you see there the spiritual prophet of it? And then as we fast, what does God do? He gives us resources. Time, food, money. And that's his instruction in Isaiah 58 to the people. They fasted religiously, and God says, Why were you supposed to fast? Wasn't it so that you could give the food to the needy? Wasn't it so that the oppressed in the land could get a break from that oppression? And so use your resources also in the service of the kingdom, in your fasting. In verse 18, Jesus repeats what he has said earlier with regard to almsgiving and prayer, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. We mustn't be uncomfortable with the biblical idea of rewards. We've said that already. And we must also realize that when we say that the reward follows our action that does not make the action the cause of the reward as some kind of thing that we've done to earn from God. Fasting is not... One way that we earn something from God. But there is a reward that will follow. Jesus doesn't specify that reward here. He simply says, your Father, which sees in secret, will reward you openly. We can think of that reward as both present and future. What is the present reward for true, sincere, secret Fasting. And then we could think of it this way that as with every other spiritual activity that God calls us to, and here two others are mentioned prayer and almsgiving, as with every other spiritual activity that God calls us to, there's the fruit of being edified and of growing closer to God. That's Isaiah 58 again. Wonderful promises God gives to Israel there as they truly fast. And so as we fast, we can expect that we will come into a richer experience of the Christian life of communion with God. That's what our fasting is aimed at, communion with God. And here, like prayer, fasting can be a real means of grace in the life of the Christian. And so let's use it. Something like it's expressed in James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, even though fasting itself is not mentioned here. You could take what's said here in James chapter 4 and say, yes, that applies specifically in the area of fasting. James 4, 8 through 10. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. And then we should think of the reward also as future. He shall reward thee openly. There's a day of open reward of vindication for God's people sometimes fasting and indeed this is true of all the spiritual exercises of God's people can bring a scorn so that we're an object of derision and you can see many examples of that in the book of psalms david when his friends were sick when his enemies were sick sorry Gave himself to fasting and prayer, he says, and I wept like he was my own brother. In Psalm 69, we read this in verses 9 through 13. For the zeal of thy house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee have fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me. And I was the song of the drunkards. And of course that's talking about the public sorrow and suffering of the Savior on the cross. And what a shame and a proverb he became. And that's reflected... In the life of the children of God as they engage in spiritual activities. But there's vindication, isn't there? And that's the reward thee openly in verse 18. Reward thee openly. Before he died, Jesus promised his disciples that as his returned there would be a sumptuous feast. That fasting would lead to feasting. That in his kingdom there would be no hunger. No more of the cravings against which we have to battle now. That our strongest desire would be satisfied by the Lord himself. Then, then shall I be satisfied. And what an incentive that is. For us to give ourselves to worship. To live our lives before the face of God. To fast from time to time so that we can give ourselves to concentrated prayer and repentance which reflects the Godward orientation of the souls of those who are citizens of heaven. The Father who sees in secret, who knows what's going on in your soul, will reward you openly. Amen. Father, we thank Thee for the instruction of the Word of God and of Jesus here. Help us, Lord, to take it, to look at our own lives in light of it, and may it be used to edify us in this way, that we grow in a greater sense of who Thou art as God, that we are Thy children, and that we are to live our lives for Thy glory. We pray it for Jesus' sake.